Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. My guest today is Elizabeth Glassbrenner, CEO of Smiley Technologies. Elizabeth drives the strategic and financial performance of the company, but her real passion is customer service. Elizabeth has a unique interest in giving back to communities, and her company is a 2020 Forbes Small Giants winner. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you. I just love the name of the company, Smiley. Um, so that's a great start. but. Um, Tell us a little bit about the company. What does Smiley Technologies do? So we are a service bureau and software builder for um, small to medium-sized community banks. So when you think about the software that's running in a bank, um, when you go to cash a check or you use your online banking system, um, we build those systems and service the banks. So our customers are really the employees of the banks. Oh, okay. And how long you've been doing it? Give me a sense of size, number of employees, that kind of thing. Sure. We've been in business about 17 years now. Um, we have 43 employees and we're about seven and a half million in revenue. Um, so we have, you know, we've worked our way up since the beginning. We have an interesting, interesting heritage and where we started. So I'd love to tell you about that when you're ready. Yeah, go for it. I want to hear the heritage. It's a family business and I know it started with, uh, uh, or your dad was kind of the original entrepreneur that got it all going. So tell us the story. So my father, um, hence the name Smiley, that's actually my maiden name. Um, my father started a business back in the late 60s called Systematics. And that business was really the pioneer to outsourcing data processing for banks. So it used to be that banks had computers inside their locations with people that ran them. It was very expensive. Uh, and, and put all the burden on the bank every night. And he really pioneered the concept of shared computer space. And that company um, over the years grew and merged and sold and uh, eventually became one of my largest competitors today. And, uh, and so we got started about 17 years ago. One of our customer banks uh, was having problems with their processor and they called my dad because he had been in the business and said, can you help us find a new vendor? And so my brother and I at the time were, I was working for a nonprofit and he was working in consulting and my dad asked us to help him with this project. And what we found was that there was no real good option for small to medium sized community banks anymore. All of the small vendors had been bought up by the large companies. There's a, three or four big ones, very large billion dollar public companies. Um, and they're really, well, these banks need a service component that, that's not being delivered in the industry today. And so we thought if we, could, if we could tackle the service side, maybe we could start a business out of it. So one of the unique things about our company is we actually started with a customer, not a product. Um, and so we bought, like what everybody else did, we bought a teller system and a new account system and an online banking system and a core system. And we thought if we could service that, that we would solve most of their problems. What we realized was you really can't service it if you don't have control of the software and the, the future of where all that's going. 
So maybe naively we, <laughs> we hired programmers and thought, well, we'll build our own. And um, 17 years later, we're still building and we've been lucky to have some really dedicated customers that have let us grow our company alongside them. And um, it's just, it's been a really fun adventure. So it's, it's, while it's not a family business um, or per se that, you know, the second generation, it, we really just we kind of jump started the niche again. It's funny. The uh, story you tell, I have parallels with in, in my own business history because I was practicing law with my dad and my two brothers and I decided that we wanted to get into business together. And so we took a, a little conference room. I'd only been practicing for 18 months. We took a conference room in our law office and started a business there together. So his three sons, uh, I quit the law practice and the two others quit what they were doing. And we started a business. And, and uh, the original idea came from my older brother, which was a medical alert system. But the business that we ended up doing for almost 30 years was also one that came from a customer who just said, hey, can you do this? Uh, it was completely different than what we were doing. And we thought, oh, you know, we could try that. And uh, we did. And then, you know, built a really nice company out of that. So um, interesting to hear your the parallels with that story. Now, it, are you and your brothers still owners of the business? So my brother actually was the CEO of our company for the first 13 years. Um, and I ran the service and operations of the business. And then um, he decided, he's still an owner and still on our board, decided that he wanted to really go focus on the future of all of this. Where, where, where's the payments industry going? Where are community banks going to end up with all the fintechs of the future? And um, he really wanted to focus on that. And it's really hard when you're fighting the fires all day long to focus on that deep future strategy. So um, he's broken off and built his own little company now that we partner with to try to help with community banks for the future. Nice. So uh, you you guys were a, a 2020 winner of Forbes Small Giants Top 25 in the country. It's just, just a huge honor. Um, that means that you've got and built a wonderful culture. Um, tell me a little bit about the culture and I would assume some of the family values that have um, impacted that culture. Yeah, it's, you know, I think it really started with my parents. I had a very positive upbringing. Um, my parents were always very philanthropic and just generally kind to everyone we met. And my father is the kind of man that gets up in a restaurant and goes and just talks to random people and shakes hands and hugs on babies. And he genuinely wants to hear about their lives. And I saw that my whole life. And I remember watching him get up in the middle of the night to go help a banker if there was a problem. So sometimes we had to go with him. And in the respect he always showed his employees, you know, he was never above rolling up his sleeves and helping where needed. We would often go to the data centers that he ran and, you know, he, he wasn't the, even though he was the CEO, he wasn't the suit that walked in, if you will. He, he acted like their coworker and they treated him like their coworker. Um, and so I think, I think he was really the epitome of the purpose-driven leader before it was really cool to be a purpose-driven leader. I didn't, wow. I didn't know what that meant at the time, but I knew how he acted. And so I think I got some of that from him. I ended up, when I went to college, I went to college in St. Louis at Washington University. And when I started looking for a job, I really couldn't find that synergy that I was craving between 
helping people. I couldn't, I had a business degree and I couldn't figure out how to do that and help people at the same time. So I ended up in the nonprofit world is where I started because I thought that was the avenue to go help people. So I, I, I think I, I think I carried that love through, through nonprofits. And then when we started our business, I really, I didn't realize that, especially the role of the CEO or a senior leader, your job is really helping people. <laughs> and so surprisingly, I never thought I wanted to run a company, a for-profit company, but surprisingly, it has, it has filled that craving in me more than I ever anticipated. And, and that culture really, I think, started with my parents and, and has just been something that I need in my life. And so it's been pretty easy to translate that to the business. How did you make uh, that transition and, and, uh, uh, and maybe the transition to becoming the CEO after your brother had done it for that many years, right? So uh, growing up and with these values is one thing, then working in the nonprofit world, but now you guys decide to start a business uh, like this. Uh, really from scratch based on a customer need. Um, what was that like to to now be leading a for-profit company or working within and then becoming the sole, you know, essentially the sole leader of the business? Yeah. I, you know, my whole life, and I, some of this has just been self-reflection recently about, about what drives me, but I, I spent my whole life helping others be successful. Like, I never wanted to be the one that was out front. I didn't, I didn't need that. I didn't want it. Um, watching other people fulfill their dreams made me happy. And weird as it may sound, that's, that's what drove me was to prop other people up and, and make them successful. I'll be real honest with you. When my brother left the business, I didn't think I wanted to be CEO. In fact, I was pretty adamant I was not going to be CEO. Um, and through some valuable mentoring from my husband and my father and my brother and other people, um, they convinced me I could do it. And at the time, I just didn't realize that being a CEO is probably what I was built for. Uh, mm. It's the epitome of creating success for everyone else. Um, so I, I, didn't, I didn't know to strive for it or even ask for it. It actually just fell in my lap. And I'm very glad that people around me encouraged me to embrace that opportunity and that I did because um, being able to mentor and teach and kill roadblocks for people and all the things that a good CEO is supposed to do comes very naturally for me, given my, my history. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Because um, you probably grew up not really understanding what leadership meant right. and, uh, and now you obviously had the example from your dad and what you saw in him running his business. But when placed, uh, given that opportunity, you said, no, 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 that's, that's probably not for me. Um, in, interestingly, in my family business, my older brother um, left our business, but it, it was not under really great circumstances. He wrote us an email one day and said he was leaving. And uh, so in that case, I actually was interested because the younger brother wasn't. And, 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 but I, in, I was in the same position of having no experience leading a company by myself and, and just having to learn. And, and it was those same family values that, that I discovered uh, about um, what you talked about, kindness, um, treating people with respect, the basics that I learned from my parents that, 
that we incorporated into our business. And I found that, that that's not always how people were treated. Uh, right. You started to hear from employees that this was a special place. And upon questioning them more, we'd find out that, uh, that they weren't always treated that way. And that's when we got the sense that there's something here that we could build upon and why in our company culture became so important. From a um, kind of practical perspective, are there a couple programs or initiatives that you've been able to implement in your company that uh, have really thrived as a result of this kind of culture that you built? You know, I get asked that question a lot and I think I, I can't point to anything specific. I mean, we have, you know, volunteer committees and, um, and we, you know, we do certain things for each other and we, we, you know, it's not anything specific in my opinion. It is a, it's a general feeling of well-being for everyone. And, and, you know, part of the other piece that's interesting in what we do is because we work with small and medium-sized community banks, um, those banks really, there's a lot of communities out there that if the banks went away, the communities are going to go away. And so part of what we really stand by is trying to get at those banks that really need great software and great service to compete and stay alive. And so um, because we have a profitable business and we, we can be a little bit picky with our customers, we actually seek those kind of banks out. And so um, it gives that morale to the people in the company that are they're actually helping communities. Even if, even if it's secondhand, if we can help keep the bank alive, they can help keep the communities alive. And that's something we've always thought was very interesting and, and rewarding. To me, that seems like you're, that's about purpose. It is. Uh, that's about why you exist. And uh, you're not really a systems company or software company that helps banks. You, you help sustain communities. We try right? to. Um, and that is something that when employees feel that they understand and they're tied to, they're going to work extremely hard, be productive, feel empowered. And when things are tough, they'll fall on a sword for you, right? Right. And I think, I think what we try to do, instead of specific one-off events or things that we do for people, it's, it's more how to make them feel empowered that they're actually making a difference in the world. And I'm, I'm always amazed at how many people, when we interview, that's something people are really looking for these days. Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially the, the younger people want to feel like they're helping society in some way or another. How do you balance this idea of a culture of caring, I call it, and compassion that you've obviously built there with the idea of uh, accountability and performance? Can they coexist? think so but I've learned it the hard way you know I tend to be more of a bleeding heart and when I first started managing people I went too far there there is a place at which you you are damaging people if you continue to give and give and give and not hold, hold them accountable for certain pieces and so I learned that the hard way um, we've been through some interesting staff changes just for that very reason but I think that it's okay to want to give and be kind to people and set you know, good expectations and hold them accountable for their job. And I, I, it's kind of like your kids, right? When you set boundaries, 
they do better. Um, and I think that holds true when running a business as well. Can you give an example of how you learned that lesson, kind of a tough or humbling business decision you've had to make? With the people? Yeah, I mean, I, I, like I, I find that in, in business, most of the problems we have relate to people anyway, <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, it's not the product or the service, it's people. Um, so yeah, I mean, have you been forced to make some tough decisions regarding people in the company? Yeah, we, you know, we had, we've had some, in the last few years, um, there were some people that we ended up having to let go because they didn't truly believe in that culture or mission. What I didn't understand was that they didn't truly believe it. And so part of what I've learned is that I have to go figure out whether they believe it or not. I can't just preach it. Um, I've got to, I've got to make them accountable for that and, and try to figure out, are they really on board or are they just saying they're on board? Because when they just say they're on board, there's a toxic culture that can, that can drive the underneath the undercurrent uh, that I didn't even really know existed. And so when you figure it out, it can be terrible. And for us, it was important to figure that out. And we had begun our, our sort of learning journey on our, our purpose-driven leadership and the things that we are trying to accomplish. And it, it came out very clearly, which was interesting. We, we started doing surveys and we started you know, really asking the hard questions. And it came out very clearly what was happening. So for the first time in my life, I feel like we've got clarity on what the culture should be, and we've got the group in place that, that is going to live it and breathe it. Well, measuring it is really important. It is. And, uh, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that, that's a really important lesson that you talked about. And when you, when you truly start listening, you realize that not everybody is ever on board, right? You're always going to have somebody, you know, it's never going to be perfect. But until you truly ask and do it in a way that people respond um, and feel like they're listened to, you're never really going to know what's going on. And gosh, I've made that mistake plenty of times. And uh, I remember once because we had a healthcare call center business and we hired a, a woman to be a, the director of operations for the whole call center. So, you know, there was a couple hundred people on, on the team under her um, authority. And um, I remember personally interviewing her and going to breakfast and thought she was great and, and uh, great credentials. Um, but she ended up coming in like a bull in a China store and making changes without in really involving anyone. And they may have been good changes, but the way she went about it, I guess, you know, just turned people off. And yet I wasn't close enough to know what was going on and it took a year to figure it out. Yeah. And, and finally when we did and we ended up letting her go, I remember one of the, people on the phones we called call advisors came up to my office with tears in her eyes. And she said, you know, I just want to tell you, you've just lifted a cloud from this company. Wow. Now, did I, did I feel good that I lifted a cloud? No, I felt horrible right. that uh, what had taken me so long to, yeah. to figure that out. Um, and so uh, one of the books I wrote, um, the title of the book uh, chapter was no losers, whiners, or jerks, right? Because uh, they exist in every company. Yeah. And, and, and so what we have to do as leaders, one of the things, the tough things we have to do is we've got to find them, seek them out, make them uncomfortable, and ultimately get rid of them. And that sounds cold for a very culture-focused company, but that's the reality 
Um, and you're not going to convince everybody and everybody has their own experiences that they bring to the business. Well, and one of the things, one of the things that I, that I learned from that was I was fighting trying to build this culture and I, I didn't realize why I, what I was fighting. Right. I, I just thought I wasn't telling it right or I wasn't showing people enough or I wasn't doing something, but I had that underlying toxicity that was happening against working against me. Once it was gone, it, the culture hit perfectly, which was interesting. Yeah, it, you, you hit your stride and then you just mm-hmm. kind of build, build upon that. Let's take a quick break. As a leader, I value responsiveness. In fact, it's one of the values of the small giants community. When it comes to email, crowded and disorganized inboxes can get in the way of being responsive to the people who matter most. I was so happy to learn that the team at Basecamp, a 2017 Forbes Small Giants Award winner, has transformed email with their new product called Hey. Hey gives you back control of your inbox with features you never knew you needed, but you won't want to live without. The first time you receive an email from someone, you get to decide exactly what to do with it. You can add it to your inbox full of all the important stuff, your feed for casual reads, or your paper trail for receipts and other transactions or you can decide not to receive emails from that person. There's a handy reply later feature, so you never miss getting back to someone, even if you can't tackle it right that second. Hey also makes it easy to edit email thread subject lines into something helpful so you don't have to sift through long message threads that have evolved light years away from the original subject. Hey blocks spyware, makes attachments easy to find, and lets you send large files. Visit hey.com now to start a 14-day trial. That's H-E-Y.com for a 14-day free trial. Can you think, uh, and, and again, maybe even looking back uh, to um, an unexpected learning that you had from an unexpected source somewhere? You know, I think I learn from unexpected sources every day. I'm just one of those people. I don't view myself as having all the answers. Um, maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. I don't know. But I, I'm constantly craving to learn from other people. So really no source seems unexpected to me. Probably the biggest learning I've done recently has been joining a group of, you know, peer group of other CEOs. I, I for years, was in, insecure about doing that. Uh, I wasn't even sure I should be CEO, much less be in a group of a room full of CEOs talking about our problems. Um, but it's, you know, being CEO can be a lonely job and having a group of peers to bounce ideas off of and, and know that I'm not alone in that has been extremely helpful and has boosted my confidence a lot. Um, so, you know, I learned from my employees. I learned from my husband. I learned from my father, I learned from my daughter who has special needs and my son. And I I just, I feel like it's everywhere for me, but that's, that's kind of, I enjoy that. So. Yeah. What's the uh, peer group you're involved in? Um, I'm involved in Tugboat Mm -hmm. Tugboat Institute and and a local Vistage group here in Little Rock. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tugboat's great. I was in Vistage too. Um, That's quite a long time ago, but I just found it to be tremendous experience and, uh, you know, on the one hand, you you uh, realize how much you don't know, yeah. especially when you get in with a group of other entrepreneurs that are going through similar things. And you probably at other times figured that um, there's a lot that you do know and people can learn from you. Yeah. And uh, so it's a, it's a wonderful experience. And I was just yesterday thinking about um, when I was in Vistage, 
this is, you know, 30 years ago, but I, I had a, one of the speakers that came in was a guy that was a senior executive for FedEx and wrote a book. And the book was called You're the Greatest. And it was all this talk about how to treat your own employees. And I just felt like that was a turning point for me, that, that this whole book had been written, and there many have been written since then, but um, about just how to make your employees feel cared for, feel good about themselves as a way to grow a successful and profitable business. Not to have to make a choice between people versus profit, but the idea that people lead to profit, right? right? Um, and like you said, you've now built a, a profitable, sustainable company that allows you to pick and choose who works in the company, pick and choose who your customers are, and, and really fulfill that bigger purpose that you're trying to fulfill, which is a, you know, a beautiful thing. Um, and, and you guys got certified um, by Tugboat, is that right? We did, we got our Evergreen certification. Wonderful, what did that entail? Um, it, you know, it, it, was a, it was a really good experience for us to, uh, there was a lot of you know, questions and answers and interviews and things that we had to really, we had to really focus on how to articulate what we do and who we are. And so it was a good exercise for us. Um, and actually the, the survey that they did of our employees was one of the beginning phases of where I found that problem. And they, you know, it was an anonymous survey, but somebody told me, you know, you got a couple of people in there that you need to go look for. And they were absolutely right. And so <laughs> for whatever it's worth, it helped us tremendously, at least open my eyes to go look for the problems and, um, and it was, it was a good learning experience for us. Well, it sounds like there's been a lot of growth, um, both for the company and personal growth over these last few years, uh, Elizabeth, what do you feel like is an area of leadership that you're really still trying to work on and improve upon? I think, um, you know, our company is really sitting, even though we've been around for 17 years, you know, we were, we were a startup for a very long time building software and the software is huge. It's <laughs> to run a bank is a lot of code. And so we're just now really sitting in that phase that we're not a startup anymore, but we're not big enough to have all the processes and procedures streamlined. We are regulated by the Fed and the FDIC. So we, we you know, we have to, we, we are really good at what we do. Um, but but just the ability to sort of get over that hump is probably the most interesting and fun challenge I have right now. To put a little more discipline around the processes in the business. Yeah, I think we've 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 nailed the staff at this point, and the and we've nailed the culture, and everybody's working in this beautiful synergy. And now we're trying to just sort of button up the edges. Yeah, and what does the future look like for you guys? Are you looking to? grow, uh, you know, in a certain way? Uh, is there an exit strategy? You just, uh, or do you want the company just to be around for decades? You know, I'd love for it to be around for decades. I think there's something really broken in our industry. And that's probably a whole nother podcast if you want to do it. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I feel like part of my legacy could be educating bankers on what's wrong with the industry. And and how they can take some power back in their future. And so, um, so I really want to work on that and personally, and I think that I don't want to be 
one of the billion dollar public companies, I think that would, a lot of the fun we're having would be lost if we, if we ended up doing that. So our, our goal is really to stay private and to grow at a moderate paced rate um, until we're not having fun and then figure it out. And, you know, I, I have a special needs daughter and, um, and so I understand the family demands and things that people want to do outside of work. And so it's really important to me that we figure that balance out. I expect people to work hard, but I'm, I'm all about working smart so that people can go home at the end of the day to their families. How do you do that? How do you balance the, uh, the demands of, of the family life and taking care of your daughter and uh, the needs of the business? Well, I'm very lucky. My husband is super dad. Um, mm. And he is a, uh, he is a motivational speaker and <laughs> climbs mountains and does Ironman triathlons and he, he's an amputee. And so he, his schedule can be flexible. And so he, he takes care of our kids when he's not out speaking or climbing Mount Everest or something crazy. But yeah, we're, we're very lucky that we have that balance. And so I, think, I, I believe that's, that's the reason it works for me. Yeah. Uh, tremendous that you're able to do that and, and lucky to have each other and, and have, you know, each one of your family, you have so much to be grateful for. Um, Elizabeth, if you are thinking about, uh, you know, the lessons that you've learned along the way, the, the ones that are obviously to come down the road and you were talking to maybe a younger person thinking about pursuing an entrepreneurial career, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, there's probably two, um, two pieces of advice. One is to not be afraid of judgment from other people. You know, I grew up in a, in a pretty privileged household and I always thought that I had something to prove. And so I was very worried that people would think I was just daddy's little girl taking a job with him. And, you know, I, I, I lived with that for a very long time and struggled with how to prove myself to people. And it wasn't until I realized that my dad was probably the best person in the world I could learn from and that I just shouldn't care <laughs> what people thought. And, and it took me a long time to get there. But once I did, uh, my life changed in, in a very mm -hmm. good way. And so I think to not be afraid of judgment from other people. And then when an opportunity comes your way, you take it and figure it out. Because um, if, I had, if I had not taken the CEO role, for example, um, I don't think I'd be nearly as happy as I am today. And that was, that was a leap of faith for me. You know, you just... Just have to be strong and embrace it and make it your own. Well, it sounds like you've had several leaps of faith along the way and they have served you well. So you have a very good track record. Uh, wonderful story, Elizabeth. I want to end with these five quick hit questions like the association game. Just maybe tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, is there a leader that you look up to? Yeah, obviously my dad. Yeah, be your dad. Um, how about a great book that influenced your leadership style? You know, I'm not a big reader because I feel like I read all day long um, and I tend to get confused and overwhelmed when I read too much. So, but, but I will say Doug Tatum wrote a book called No Man's Land, which yeah. really helped me in this phase of growth that we're in. There's a part of Doug's book that I'll never forget that was um, so important to me. And it goes to what we were talking about earlier when you uh, made some changes in your team 
that you finally realized needed to be yeah. made. And, uh, you know, both of us had businesses that we were in with our family. And uh, what he talked about was the management team that got you from A to B yeah. is not the team that's going to get you from B to C. Exactly. And, and it just took me a long time to, to come to terms with that because uh-huh. we're so, yeah, we're so loyal to the folks that we have. Um, fact is, I always used to say that I only get to stick around because I own the place. But, <laughs> but um, you know, if we build the right team around us, the, the company, if it's growing properly, at some point is going to outgrow some, if not all of the talent that it has. And so right. you're always, uh, this was my Vistage chair who said, you're always weeding the garden. It just yeah. never, it never ends. Yeah. And there was one point I remember one year where I said, oh, I've just got the best team. And, you know, five years later, half of them were gone. And again, it's nothing bad. It's not that anybody was doing anything wrong, but if you're going to stay on that path to growth, um, you do have to always either invest in your talent and or and or a combination of bringing in outside talent that's going to help you grow. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but great book. Um, how about your all-time favorite movie? The Sound of Music. Oh, nice one. How about a uh, favorite TV series to binge watch? Uh, Game of Thrones. That's a great one. <laughs> and is there something about you that many people don't know? You know, there's a couple things. My my daughter, who has pretty severe special needs, um, she's very normal in her appearance, and so not everyone really knows how rare and severe she is. Um, she's one of five known cases in the whole world. Uh, she has a pretty rare seizure disorder. Mm. And so we, you know, we try not to dwell on the really scary parts of that, but she grounds me every day to remember what's important. Yeah. It's stressful. I'd probably be way more stressed without her because she, she looks at butterflies and the moon and looks for four leaf clovers and, and reminds me what's important every day. And I have my pilot's license. That's probably about me. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Well, and I, uh, you know, my wife has a special needs niece and I used to work with autistic kids when I was in college. And just like uh, my, my daughter works with special needs kids all the time uh, as well. So it just got a special place in our whole family's heart. And I just, uh, you know, wish the best for you and your family. Like you said, it's a blessing more than anything else. And she is, she is uh, helping you and reminding you about what's important. So congratulations on that. Uh, Elizabeth, this is a great story. I just love hearing from you. I want to share a few of the reflections um, that I had during our talk. Um, One was just uh, how you started your business with a customer and not a product. I think that's important for people to understand that we can spend way too much time developing a product without even knowing what the customer wants. And if if we're lucky enough to have a customer that has an idea and we can execute on that idea, that will build our our product for us sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love your lessons learned from your folks that you, you grew up with a nice childhood. Um, these just memories of your dad in the in the restaurant, just hugging people or in his business, getting up in the middle of the night and going to help a banker, just being kind to people and, and knowing that this was about how people were treated, that he was a purpose-driven leader before that was even a thing. I mean, we, that's yeah. what we're talking about today. And he did it, you know, in the 60s and 70s. And um, so, again, that's driven by his personality and his sense of heart. And, um, and obviously, that was, that was built up in, in you as well. 
And even though you felt like you could deliver that best in the nonprofit world, when you got the opportunity to start the business with your brother, you realized, you know, we could do this and still be in a for-profit business. Right. You don't have to choose one or the other. Um, and that uh, you really have spent your life helping others be successful. I think that's that's what life's about, being of service to other people. Um, you may not have wanted this role as a CEO um, because you probably thought it was something different, but came to realize that that's exactly what it is. Um, to en- it's to enhance the lives of the people that work with you to help the company achieve its higher purpose, whether that's saving or maintaining or sustaining these communities, um, these communities that you work with. Uh, your lessons learned kind of from everyone, and whether it's from your your husband, your kids, your your dad, your brother, you know, um, everybody along the way contributes to that. And uh, and you learned a lot of these lessons. So for people that have not uh, been in that leadership role yet, aspire into that leadership role to take that jump. You didn't want to be the CEO, but you, you know, you got encouragement, you jumped in and realized, wow, I can do this. And yet you're, you're still learning along the way. You, you realize, you know, I don't know everything. So I'm going to start to get involved in some other organizations and find peers that I could talk to, learn from, and share my experiences with. And not everybody does that. People are very insular and and don't look outside to the mentors that can help them. Uh, You realized only a few years ago that you probably didn't have an ear to the ground of your culture as well as you should, because you weren't measuring the level of true satisfaction and engagement of your employees. And when you did that, you learned some lessons, tough lessons, but important ones. And look how much better the culture is because of that. Um, and I love the fact that, that, you know, in the future, you hope that your part of your legacy is educating this industry that you said in some ways is broken or needs to be fixed. And I think that's a great uh, personal goal for you as well. Um, and just as, as uh, a leader, as a mom of a special needs child and balancing that family, just what you've been able to do in terms of balance, I just have so much respect for. Uh, lastly, just the advice that you have for young people. Uh, don't be afraid of judgment from others. Uh, you were stuck in that thing like you were in the shadow of your dad for a long time and realized that that didn't matter, that he, there's no better teacher than your dad. And I had a little bit of that too. Uh, oh, you just went to work for your dad in the law firm because that was easy. And, you know, but uh, I never really felt that. I just felt like, you know what, we make our own way. There's no reason we need to apologize from that. And, you know, my dad's my hero. And, and so most of my biggest lessons learned have come from him. And, and so um, congratulations on realizing that. And, 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 you know, sorry it took you a while to get there because that's, those are no, not, no fun times either. Um, and lastly, when an opportunity comes along, uh, take it. And I think that's, that's sort of the risk that entrepreneurs have people have that, that you don't always take. And so you didn't have to do that. You did because you were encouraged by people that were important to you and you are now thriving. And, and like you said, um, probably haven't been happier in your own life, even striking that entire balance. So um, congratulations on what you've done so far, but I think uh, the best is yet to come, Elizabeth. So um, I wanna really thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please support the show by subscribing to hear future episodes. Until next time.